Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be addressing the infamous question that we've been getting a lot lately. Where's Where? my tax return? Yeah, look at that. I <laughs> took it right out of my mouth. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's right. That is it. Where's my tax return? So, you know, because of COVID, there's obviously been a lot of delays and it's just sometimes hard for us to address that question simply. And that's primarily why we decided to make this episode where we can talk about it in more length and detail. How the pieces play together mm-hmm. to ultimately delay your tax return. That, that's the bottom line. So, unfortunately. So, why are the tax returns delayed this year? It's because a lot of the government programs that were implemented during the pandemic. Well, let's start with the ERC, the Employee Retention Credit. First of all, that's the primary thing right now that's holding up the tax returns because technically that has to be calculated and put on retroactively to the 2020 tax return, even though you won't get the cash back until, if you're lucky, 2021. Probably 2022 is much more realistic. We've gotten so far away, (laughs) sounds ridiculous, but in time we've gotten so far away from these stimulus packages that people don't remember what they are. So the biggest question I'm getting right now is what is the ERC? Why do you need to do it? Why is it holding up my tax return? So how would you answer that question, Robert? What's a little summary of what the ERC is and why it's beneficial? Well, the the thing that I jumps to my mind immediately is that, you know, it has to, to do with your retention of your employees during the pandemic, but it's virtually worth thousands of dollars to some clients. And I don't think they realize the magnitude of it. Right. And it varies. Some are none. Some are maybe two, 3,000, but some are, you know, we've seen 150, 200,000 in say, some cases. Yeah. We've had some that were tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's cash. That's not a, a tax deduction. That's a, a cash refundable credit that you will get back in a check eventually. And I say eventually <laughs> because it just depends on the IRS and You know, we all know that they're the most efficient government agency there is. Right. And and we're going to talk about how some of the delays are being caused by them as well. But yeah, the because that's one of the questions that the people that are getting their ERC calculated, their employee retention credit calculated. Well, they're like, well, where's my refund? (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you when it's coming later. It's coming (laughs) later. We were in the beginning about three months. There's no way that's going to happen. We've extended our estimate to six months. I'm not sure now that is even going to happen because there's still millions, literally millions of pieces of mail sitting at the IRS unprocessed. And these employee retention credits are in that stack. Now, can the ERC be filed electronically or are these all paper? These are all paper. 
They have to be filed on an amended 941, and those cannot be filed electronically. Original ones, yes, but not amended ones. So there's no way to rush this. And the payroll companies can't or won't do the calculation, so it's up to your CPA to do it. Uh, right. The calculation, yeah, you're correct. Yeah. They can do the filing, and in some cases it's good to go that way, and in other cases it's not. But they can't get the filing through any faster than anyone else. So even though they do file your payroll reports electronically, they are not filing your amended electronically. It's just IRS does not have that capability. Hmm. So, okay. And until that's done, your tax return cannot proceed. So we have to figure out if you're eligible for it, then if you want to pursue it and then calculate it and then put it into your tax return. And so that's just one of the many things that is um, putting a pause so, on completing things. So back up and emphasize that because you kind of blew through that. So that's <laughs> that, that your tax return cannot be completed until the ERC calculation is completed. Right. And, and really that's... That's kind of an overstatement. It can be completed, but then it would require an amendment. So if you finish it before the ERC is done, it technically has to go on that 2020 return. So you're then your tax return would have to be amended, and those amended returns are then going to sit in the queue at the IRS until they get processed because those are much slower. So it, it's much better if you can hold the 2020 return until the calculation is finished, put it on there, and file it all originally correct. But at some point, it, it's going to be too late. You're going to have to file it and then go back and fix it later if it's worth it. And why couldn't we have done these ERC calculations, say, in November or December of last year? Well, because we're not psychic, unfortunately. <laughs> so originally, if you took a PPP loan, which the vast majority of dentists did, uh, especially the ones that would qualify for this credit, took the PPP loan because it's based on payroll, same as the credit. So if you took that, you were not eligible under the original law for the credit. That changed on December 27th. And so the change was late in the year. And I know that sounds like, oh, it's been six months, seven months, eight months. But we had to figure out, we had to wait on guidance on how to work it in between the PPP wages because you can't use wages for both, plus the sick leave credits and all of these things. So it took a while to learn the rules, apply the rules, and now implement the rules. So it just delayed delayed everything. So now you're sort of going into the PPP, PPPP, <laughs> how many P's? <laughs> Three P's. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that for a minute, you know, the banks are really pushing a lot of the clients to go ahead and apply for forgiveness. Yeah, Ash, you want to speak to that? Like, yes. When we say pushing, how would you define pushing? <laughs> Honestly, you know, especially right now, this time this of the year, yeah, you know, it, as it we has really hit in the last time, lenders have been really pushing our clients to apply for the forgiveness, mm -hmm. saying that, oh, you guys are running out of time. Mm -hmm. And you know, let's let's back up a little bit and talk about this timeline. So, you know, initially there was this covered period that people talked about, right? That the money that you've received from the PPP must be used during this cover period for payroll following the guidelines that they've given you. And there were some other allowable expenses too. But then later this cover period was extended to 24 weeks, allowing plenty more time for our clients to use up these funds. Right, it was a good thing. And which was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, earlier when you said that the law, the rules changed on December 27th. So before then, the plan was, okay, the clients are gonna use all these funds, these PPP funds towards payroll, and no if problem. They, no problem. Mm -hmm. Those reports are easily available, especially if they're using a third-party payroll service provider. They were getting caught up to 
They were creating special reports that we could use to help them file for the forgiveness. But then December came. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they said, you know what? These people that receive the PPP funds can also apply for the ERC credit. Mm -hmm. And again, as you mentioned earlier, both these things go hand in hand because you, we need to look at the payroll. Right. Now, this is one thing that we understand. Honestly, we've just fully maybe understood how this works. Lenders, unfortunately, do not know about this. They, in, in fact, I was speaking with one lender not too long ago and he had never heard of ERC. Right. Because it's not their job. It's not in their wheelhouse. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And in fact, you know, I was actually a little pushy with why are you forcing our clients to apply for forgiveness? Right. There's why are reason, you rushing them? Why are you rushing them? And when I explained it to him, he didn't understand. He said, oh, I had no idea that, right. you know, it was because of ERC. So that kind of puts this fear amongst our clients because mm -hmm. it's not just one call or one email. They're getting multiple mm -hmm. emails, multiple calls. And I get it from the lender's perspective. They're doing their due diligence. They're following up, but it's causing a little bit of a frantic mm -hmm. panic, a panic between amongst our clients and honestly with us too, because right. we're getting frequently asked about what's going on with our tax return, what's going on with our PPP right. forgiveness, what's going on with our ER secret. And they go all hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, in my opinion, uh, I would blame the lenders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're looking for out this. for the client. We don't care whether the lenders are happy, to be honest, because mm -hmm. we've had them call and say, well, I've got to get this off my books. Well, I don't really care about your books. I'm sorry. <laughs> I care about what's in the best interest of, of the clients. And we're not going to let them miss a deadline. Right. Uh, but we're going to do do what's right, right by them. So Absolutely. In that respect, if, if the banks are successful at getting some of the clients to apply for PPP mm -hmm. forgiveness, then how does that affect their ERC calculation? Well, it it affects it. It may or may not be negative, um, but you've taken the options off the table. So at that point, we're limited in what we can take. It might not have reduced the ERC at all, but in some circumstances, it absolutely will. It could be by several thousand dollars could be many thousands of dollars. And that's why it's best to calculate it together. But if you've applied for PPP and uh, weren't aware, it's still worth looking at. It's still possibly very valid. It may be more limited than it would have been. And that's unfortunate, but I would still move forward with it. And, you know, it's not just us. This is going on nationwide. Uh, CPA firms are in this basically the same boat across the nation. I know all of the ones in the ADCPA firm organization that we belong to are in the same boat. And you know, we get people calling, um, new clients potentially calling and being upset with their accountant that they're, they're behind and all of these things. And of course, I tell them that we're going to do a better job than them because we are. <laughs> but I do defend them. I mean, it, it's not that they're behind just because they're lazy or lax or whatever. It's that it has just been a nightmare to keep up with this year. And we just all are looking for a little grace, to be honest. But I know that we've also had people call that ask us to actually do their ERC mm -hmm. calculation because their CPAs weren't familiar enough with it to do it. Correct. So no. not all firms have elected to, to, to take advantage of the programs that are available for the clients. And we have, uh, but it has slowed down the process of doing the normal things that we would ordinarily do every year, like the tax returns. Right, because this is all extra. The PPP forgiveness, the ERC calculation, the HHS reporting that's coming up, that first deadline is September 30th. Not a lot of people, not a lot of dentists have that September 30 problem, but it's then they have the, the next deadline, which is 
early 2022. So it's just one thing after another. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's PPP round two forgiveness, which I don't even want to think oh, about goodness, yet. Yes, I think some of the banks are not even taking applications yet for that. Yeah, But yeah. they are starting to send out the reminders yes. or the, the kind of the warning emails because people mm-hmm. are calling. Yes, what that. do we do about this? Absolutely true. On that note, you know, these lenders, there's also this other misinformation that they're giving to our mm-hmm. clients. I feel like. And I think yeah, we confusion on their that. part. It is a confusion on their part. So what is that? I think it's regarding by when they should be filing the PPP right. forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier when I was talking with the covered period, uh, you don't really have to file for the forgiveness as soon as you're done with the covered period. They actually give you 10 months to file for it. Now, for whatever reason, some lenders are convincing our clients that the forgiveness needs to be approved during those 10 months mm-hmm. when that's not the case. Right. As long as the forgiveness is filed for before your payment kicks in for that loan, because essentially the PPB is a loan, right? That right. we're applying for forgiveness. Right. So if you don't file for the forgiveness, payment will kick in. So as long as you file for the forgiveness before that payment kicks in, you're in the clear. Right. Because you don't have to make any payments while the forgiveness is being considered by the SBA. Correct. That's right. So, yeah, it's the end date on when it has to be filed is really very loose. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it does exist, but it's not quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, most of the early ones are coming due now in July and August. So it is something that you need to be watching for. But like I say, it, it's easy to hit that deadline. Mm-hmm. And it's not as quick as the banks think it is. Right. So. And since we are still on the subject matter of PPP forgiveness, I think we should also talk about the various applications that are out there. So, for instance, mm. if you've received less than 50000 mm-hmm. it's a very simple mm-hmm. application. I, I will acknowledge that one is a very simple application. Right. And then, you know, they're also saying that the people that have received less than 150000 mm-hmm. that's also a fairly simple application. And that looks simple, <laughs> but I would dispute the fact that it is simple. Right. And then, of course, for amounts greater than that, that application is more complicated. Um, Now, for clients that have multiple practices, Mm -hmm. right, these practices may have received different amounts. Correct. That depends on their payroll, right, Mm -hmm. for that location. Now, some of these practices may have received more than Mm 150000 And some clients get that. Okay, that's more complicated. That may take some time. Even the lenders are like, okay, all right, I get it. But then sometimes the lenders will be like, oh, you know what, your practice... B and C, however, receive less than one hundred fifty thousand. Why don't we go ahead and file for the forgiveness for that? Mm-hmm. We don't even because need to get the accountant so involved because it's so simple and we can take over. Mm-hmm. You don't even need your accountant. Right? What do you have to say about that, Lynn? I know it's not something they should be doing, but right, why? right, it's not something they should be doing. And what I would say to that is, the bankers are in no position to be giving that kind of advice because they don't understand the rules. Especially if you've got employees that are working multiple practices that are getting paid multiple practices. You have to watch the salary caps because those apply across the entities. Your own personal salary cap applies across the entities. So you can't just file for one. Whatever you file for that one, then that's going to potentially affect the filings for the other two. And the other two may need the payroll there, but you've already used it. So that's problem number one. And then, so yes, the application for between 50000 and 150000 if you look at it, it's a like a one-page form, it's basically how much did you spend on payroll costs, boom, you're done. Um, But anything over $50,000, even though the form looks simple, you have to do these calculations saying whether you kept up your full-time equivalents and whether you reduced your wages below 25% and all of these things. And so, yeah, you can fill in those numbers, but they may or may not be right if you reduce your staff or if you reduce their pay. 
Or, um, or if they went on unemployment for a period of time. Right. Right. Because that's going to affect it as well. So they really need to all be worked together and thought out. I mean, I, I've, I've seen several that clients have done because they look easy that I absolutely know are wrong. And it worries me because I don't know what's going to happen if the SBA audits them. I mean, I'm, you know, holding my breath and keeping my <laughs> fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. And I know it wasn't intentional, right? Everybody expects full forgiveness to be granted. And in my opinion, in most cases, if the application is done properly, you will get full forgiveness. But just filling it out blasé is not the way to go about that because you're looking at SBA fraud. And that's problematic. Mm-hmm. And the statute of limitations is seven years on these, not, not just three like that's it right. is normally. So That's right. Yeah. I know we've had uh, clients that have filled out their own applications that uh, ended up um, owing some money because yeah, they, they didn't do the 24-week period. They did the original eight-week period, and they didn't just use payroll. They used everything. And by doing that, probably hurt their chances of getting the ERC credit. Right, because they, they can choose whether to use the eight weeks or the 24 weeks. And mm-hmm. by choosing eight weeks, they've limited their payroll costs. So that did not allow for full forgiveness. And obviously, had we filed that application, that would not have been the case. Yeah. I have seen a few that legitimately did not get full forgiveness because yeah. they were maybe given too much to begin with. Their their loan application was overstated, so they received too much money, and so therefore you can't get forgiven more than you were allowed to receive. And that could be bank error, but nonetheless, you still have to repay it. And a couple of other cases, but by far 99% of our applications have been 100% forgiveness. Good. Good to know. What would you say the average ERC credit is for our clients? I would say it's roughly $20,000 to date with a lot more still to be calculated. Okay. And, and that's, semi-misleading that is the average but the median is far less there's a couple quite a few really big ones that are raising that average i would say if you throw out the outliers it's more in the range of 10 okay all right good to know yes that is good to know so the erc credit Another question that sometimes I get from the clients is that, okay, why is it taking so long to calculate this? Is it really that hard to calculate? Right. What would you have to say to that? Absolutely it is. You absolutely need my help to do it. <laughs> uh, it's a complicated calculation. Right. No, it, it is. It's a, it's a bit complex. Could they do it? Possibly. Could they file the application themselves? No. Is a lot of it just built up workload and bottlenecks caused by the IRS and the rule changes, yes, that that's playing into it. So you, you've got this one thing that requires a specialist to learn new rules. Right. So that takes time. Not everyone in the office is not practical to have everyone learn those rules. So mm-hmm. only a few people are working on it. Well, it's a one-time deal, too. Exactly. So it, we, it's we just hope. not efficient. <laughs> well, it, it's coming up again a little bit for 2021. Yeah. You know, the the tax rules, the ERC changed earlier than this, but some of the tax rules were changing as late as March 12th. And so every time that happens, the IRS has to reformat the forms and the computer systems and the software that's used to file those forms. And so all of that, you know, March 12th, by March 15th, we normally would have a substantial number of returns filed because that's the first deadline. This year, we had a total of zero because the rules changed on March 12th. And so that's playing into the fact that they're having to wait for these credits as well, because everything is just coming due at the same time. Okay. So regarding the ERC and the PPP and, and the whole issue of the tax returns, what's happening with the IRS and all these notices that are going out 
because of why? <laughs> X, Y, Z. That's right. There are a lot of reasons. The Unfortunately, here's the chain of events in Texas. In Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma are being bombarded with a large number of tax notices. And of course, the clients are getting upset and they think we've done something wrong. And the reality is it was just a <laughs> perfect storm. That's going to be a pun. But the winter storm, the IRS named it the Texas winter storm, I guess, because we were the biggest affected in the largest area. But the winter storm that hit in February 14th, somewhere around in there, uh, you know, really shut down business in these states. And so the IRS gave us what we thought was a reprieve. It seemed so kind of them that they extended the deadline for all of our returns from March 15th, April 15th to June 15th. And so March 15th comes, all the corporate returns are due, all the partnership returns are due for the rest of the United States, but not for us. And that was great. Bought us extra time because we were behind. We had no power for that, you know, entire week or so, right? And so what was not well communicated and what happened is that since they pushed the deadline, we could not e-file extensions because the e-file system was not set up for that weird deadline because the rest of the world was on the 315 just deadline. Just for the three states. Just for the three states. Yeah. And so we could have elected to extend on March 15th. I think it was actually March 16th this year, but whatever, the March 15th deadline. Had we known that we would not be able to e-file the extensions, probably would have hindsight, right? But we were going to be able to file some by June 15th, so there was no reason to extend. We were just going to wait. And instead, what happened is we couldn't e-file the extensions. And, and this is when I say we, I don't mean our firm, but the, all the firms in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. So we had to paper file those extensions. And well, they are now sitting at the IRS in a stack of millions of pieces of mail. So what has happened is since then, returns are getting done and completed and they're being e-filed and they're being considered late because there's no extension on file. There is a valid extension that will be in place at some future date, but right now the IRS can't see it. They're saying your return is late. They're issuing notices for every return that's being filed practically, saying your return is late and here's the penalty. And of course, it's upsetting the taxpayers. I totally understand it. And it's totally bogus. And it's very difficult to fight it because to fight it, you have to mail in correspondence. Another piece of paper. Yeah. So that's going to be at the bottom of the stack. They're going to get to the extensions before they get to my response. Theoretically. I don't know if that's true. But <laughs> theoretically, they're going to get to the April, I mean, the June mail before they get to now my August mail. Right. And so that doesn't even do any good. And my advice, on, if you get a notice like that, is is to just wait until it's an urgent notice. And then you're going to have to take action. But in the beginning, there's really no action to take because you can't even call at the moment. Uh, hopefully this will clear up. But right now, most of the time, if you call, you get a message that says, we're experiencing high call volume. Call back later. Click. It cuts you right L off. Literally. You can't even hold. You cannot. Yeah. Now, if you call at some certain times, you can get lucky and hold. But mostly you can't get through. And correspondence is going to be fruitless. So you'll just... Yeah, I would contact your, your CPA. You need to let them know what's going on, but probably the early advice is going to be just just ignore until it becomes an urgent matter and then take care of it. All right. That was a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much, Lynn. And I think on that note, we can end our episode. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach us at info at eandassociates.com. And the and is spelled A-N-D. 
uh, we look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond Bite Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more info, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.